Bibles and go to John chapter 6. What would your reaction be if I announced that we are going to now have a pop quiz? You have enjoyed pop quizzes. Other than our teachers, how many of you have enjoyed pop quizzes? The exams, the tests. I don't know if you are like me. You just kind of get stressed out. Your palms get sweaty. You're like, you get anxious, you get nervous, but we all know that tests are important, but that doesn't mean we have to enjoy them. It has been said that during a test, people look up for inspiration, down in desperation, and left and right for information. R.C. Sproul is a, a, a Christian apologist who's since died, but he liked to tell when he talked about uh, lecturing his students, he liked to tell that he would give them exams. And in those exams, he would offer his pre-exam prayer, and this is what he would pray. The teachers are going to love this. He would pray, Heavenly Father, help these students be able to quickly recall every bit of information they have diligently studied. To which the students would pray, Heavenly Father, send a miracle. <laughs> we don't necessarily have to enjoy tests, but tests are important because they reveal what we know. But we also know that tests, or don't know, yes, that's right, it reveals what you know or don't know, but we also have tests in life. And the test we experience in life can reveal what we know and what we believe. Follow, me, follow with me in John chapter 6. We're going to look at the verse 14 verses. And we're going to see in here this great miraculous sign that Jesus performed with the feeding of the 5,000. And in this, we're going to see that Jesus gave His disciples a test and we'll find out how they did. Follow with me in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following Him because they saw the signs He was performing on the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with His disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward them, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? And look at verse 6. He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. A denarius was a small Roman coin that was about the equivalent of a laborer's daily wage. And if you have the New International Version, it may say that eight months of wages wouldn't be enough. This was a large crowd. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. 
The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in His name, we will have life, everlasting life. Father, I pray also for those who are here today that are either going through a trial, have been through a trial, or just know that one's coming up. Father, help us to see these tests as coming from You, and help us not to lose sight of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. These people were following Jesus. And let me remind you, this is in Galilee. This is around the same area where Jesus had turned the water into wine. This is the same area where He had healed the nobleman's son. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that this crowd is not seeking Jesus because they're worshiping Him as the Messiah. No. They see Jesus as the miracle worker as the one who does signs and wonders, and they are wanting Jesus to do miracles, to make life better for them, and they, they, they believe, and as we saw at, the, at uh, verse 15, they want to make Him king because He's the miracle worker, He can give us everything we need, and so they're not worshiping Him as the Messiah, they just want Him to help them in this life. So we see this crowd. They want to know where Jesus is. They, they, they want Jesus because they want what Jesus can give them. And Jesus is up on the mountain and he's looking at this large crowd, this crowd that wants to see signs and wonders, and he doesn't see a problem but an opportunity. He sees the crowd coming, and he sees an opportunity to be seized. Because what do we see here? The crowd is coming. Verse 5, he says to Philip this question, Where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Now, it's remarkable that Jesus sees the crowd, and he sees an opportunity. But what does Philip see? Philip sees a problem, because how does Philip reply? He replies, eight months' worth of wages would not be enough bread, would not be enough to get enough bread to feed them just a little bit. This is around 5,000 men plus women and children. I don't know why they weren't counted in the number, but most likely there were women and children there as well. Jesus sees the crowd coming to them, and Jesus has mercy towards them. 
He, he sees not a problem to be overcome, but an opportunity to be seized. And we're going to see that Jesus provided bread for the people miraculously, not just to give them a meal, but to show them that He is the one who provides them with food that lasts for eternal life. So he sees an opportunity. Philip sees a problem. Jesus asks Philip, where are we going to get enough bread for these people? Philip says, we're not going to get enough bread to feed these people. There's not enough money. And he turns to Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was there as well. And at first it sounds like he has great faith, but then we see actually no, he doesn't. Because he says, hey Jesus, there's a little boy here. He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. At first you're like, oh great, Andrew, he's got it. And then he adds this, but what are they for so many? Now these barley loaves were little small loaves. They were, they were not very big. And the fish most likely were these little fish that were pickled and they were meant to give a little flavor to the bread. Uh, just basically this was a meal fit for a little boy. This was not a lot of food. And so Andrew is just saying that, hey, the only one who brought food, most likely his mother packed his lunch for him, the only person that has food that we know of is this little boy. And he has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to get enough bread for these people to eat? The question that we have today is why did Jesus ask this question? He did so because he wanted to feed food to the people, but he also wanted to feed the faith of his disciples. Now, this is a remarkable uh, miracle that happens in Jesus' ministry. In fact, this is the only miracle that, uh, that is recorded for us in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them mention the feeding of the 5,000. And in fact, in Mark, it tells us that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Luke tells us that Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Jesus was merciful to the crowd and used this as an opportunity to test his disciples and grow their faith. So do you see what I'm trying to set up here? Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus sees the crowd coming and he knows, hey, I'm going to do an amazing miracle. And by the way, what's on the menu that day? Fish sandwiches, right? Anybody going to have fish sandwiches for lunch? I don't know. But that's what they have. They had today. Jesus saw the crowd coming. He knew they were hungry. Maybe some of them were hangry. I don't know. That's between, uh, that's between them. You ever been hangry before? 12.05 on a Sunday morning. You're like, <laughs> By the way, there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. There's a, just Anyway, that, that's for later. But... He knew that he was going to feed them. 
But Jesus doesn't do things on the spur of the moment. He doesn't do things randomly. He just didn't decide one day, hey, I'm going to do something. Jesus is intentional in all he does. And when he does perform a miracle, there's usually something behind it to which he's trying to demonstrate or show. So what's he doing? He asked Philip about bread to test him. He wanted to hear what Philip was going to say. Jesus saw this as an opportunity to feed the faith of the disciples and show mercy to the crowd that was following him. So let's, let's look more at what Philip and Andrew said. Jesus saw an opportunity and the disciples saw a problem. Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough to feed these people. Uh, John Gill, old Baptist uh, commentator, he said that Philip's response was very quick and short and in a carnal, unbelieving way. D.A. Carson said that Philip's response betrays the fact that he can only think at the level of the marketplace and of the natural world. Andrew, overhearing Jesus' conversation, mentioned the boy with the food, but his response was no better than Philip's. The disciples were correct that this wasn't enough food for the crowd, but the disciples failed to remember their standing with Jesus. You see the, whoo, just... Did you ever have a teacher that would do that? I had a science teacher. Anytime he'd ask a question and someone didn't get it right, he'd go, right over your head. You missed it. You can do that. Yeah, right over. The disciples are like, okay, Jesus wants to know. You can just imagine some of them huddling together. Okay, Jesus wants to know where we're going to get bread. And by the way, they used to argue about bread. Jesus wants to know where we're going to get bread. Where are we going to get bread? I don't know where you got bread. You got any bread with you? I don't know. I don't have any bread. What are we going to get bread? Why is he talking about bread? Doesn't he know that we've just been with him the whole time? And like Scott City, we don't have a grocery store nearby? Ooh, too soon, right? Sorry. Too soon. Where are we going to get this bread? Dollar General's closed. Anyway, sorry. Another too soon. <laughs> sorry. Those are inside jokes. Where are we going to get this bread? And I can just imagine Jesus. Maybe he had his arms folded like this. Maybe he was doing something like this. Jesus is like, Philip, where are we going to get bread? And Philip panics. Andrew, where are we going to get bread? Andrew panics. Did Jesus ever panic? If Jesus isn't panicking... Why are the disciples? Because they're not thinking about Jesus. They failed to factor Jesus into the situation. The disciples were correct that this was not enough food for the crowd, but they failed to believe that Jesus is the one who made the world and who is Lord over all and through whom the fish and bread came into existence in the first place. 
They're with Jesus. Why are they anxious? They're with Jesus. Why are they panicking? It's because they're thinking worldly. And when you're thinking worldly, you're panicking. And you're anxious and you're worried. Philip and Andrew failed the test. Anybody ever been like me and you have your exam finished and you take it up and you put it there and you're like, I know I didn't do good. <laughs> and then sure enough, somebody said, yeah. Who was that? Somebody said, yeah. You put your test there and then you get it back and your, your instructor has one of those red pens and it's basically all red, front and back. It's like, and then there's a little F on the top and maybe a, maybe a frowny face. I don't know. Depends on how your teacher is. But you get your test back and you're like, I don't even know why I took it. They like failed. Anybody in here ever failed a test before? Okay, a couple of us have. My freshman year of college at Tennessee Tech in Cookville, Tennessee, I took chemistry. You realize I'm not a chemist, right? I took chemistry. And the first test was like a 24, the second test was like a 29, and then I dropped the class. Because I didn't want to put myself through that anymore. But there's actually one test, Intro to Engineering, that I thought I was doing fairly well until I failed the entire class. Have you ever failed a test before? Have you ever had an opportunity to retake a test you failed? Maybe that's happened before. How'd you do the second time around? Hopefully better. Hopefully you didn't fail again. But listen very closely. Philip and Andrew, and with them, the rest of the disciples, failed. Jesus said that to Philip in order to test him, and Philip failed. But I like this next part. But rather than rebuke him, rather than rebuke them, Jesus said, have the people sit down. You know what Jesus could have said? Jesus could have said, Philip, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Philip? Andrew, you're not any better than Philip. Are any of you worth anything? And he could have ranted and raved. He could have said, I've been with you all this time and you don't know anything. I might as well send you out and go get some other people in here. Maybe I'll fill my disciples with Samaritans. They're the ones that seem to know who I am. Is that what, Philip, is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus didn't rebuke them. He fed them. He said, have the people sit down. And Jesus took the food from the, from the young boy and he gave thanks to the Father. He, he gave thanks to God for what was, what was given and for what he was uh, about to do. And he distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. 
And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets full. Now, tell me how good your math is and how good your problem-solving skills are. Here's your pop quiz for the day. How do five barley loaves and two small fish end up feeding 5,000 plus people? How does that end up happening? Jesus. Now, there's some very educated people out there that claim they know what Jesus did. They claim that Jesus intentionally went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and there must have been a cave nearby and he had had the disciples stockpiling fish and bread in the cave. And so Jesus made sure to be close to there and he's like, guess what we're going to do here? But he didn't clue in Andrew and Philip in on the plan and so he was right there and he had the cave kind of covered up and so when people would come by, they would slip him some fish and bread and he would hand it to them and they would slip him some more and put it in there. And they say, (laughs) that's most likely, based upon the best scholarly evidence, that's most likely what had happened. Do you buy that? Well, you know that, you know that didn't happen. And why did that not happen? Because we're talking about Jesus And the only reason why they would even think something preposterous like that would happen is because being unbelieving, they're already already thinking that there's no way a miracle could happen. And if you come into this rejecting that any supernatural, any miraculous things can happen, then you're going to grab to any far-fetched thing you can, whereas the plain meaning of the text and the fact that we know that this is Jesus, what makes the most sense is that Jesus grabbed some bread and handed it to this person and determined that more bread would be available, so he miraculously kept bringing bread and fish. And how did he do this? He is God. And being God, he made the loaves and the fish multiply until there was more than enough for everyone. How is this possible? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's demonstrating his glory. How does Jesus walk on water? He's God. He tells the water to bear up his weight. How does he heal the nobleman's son? He tells the sickness to leave. How does he cure those who are uh, blind? He, He simply restores their sight. Those who are crippled, those who can't speak, those who can't hear, those who are demon possessed, those who are dead, Jesus brings to life. Jesus heals. This is why we worship him. No one else in the history of the world has done the things that Jesus has done. No one has ever come close to anything that Jesus has done. Not just his miracles, not just the signs and wonders, but the teaching as well that he, that he gives. 
You remember last week, he's teaching that the Father is his very own Father, and he's making himself equal with God. Only Jesus speaks that way. There is none that compare to him. Philip and Andrew saw a problem and lamented that it was hopeless. Their faith was tested and they failed because they were looking at it from a worldly perspective. In other words, their analysis failed to include Jesus. I've heard it said this way. Do you know what anxiety is? Do you know what fear is? Fear is considering the possibilities of a future without God in it. And is that world ever to take place and ever to happen? It's impossible. How could... I'm going to pick on Philip and, and, and Andrew for a little while and the rest of the disciples. How could they have such little faith? How could they be with Jesus for so long and have such little faith? They saw Him turn the water into wine. They saw Him heal the royal official's son. They saw Him heal the sick man at Bethesda. How could they not respond in great faith? How could Philip not answer Jesus and say, Lord, I don't have a clue. I have no idea, but I know you. And I know that you can do all things. Why didn't Philip say that? Why didn't Andrew say that? Why did they have such poor, weak faith? Which brings us to you and me. How do we respond to the tests we face? Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning quarterback, he said, the Lord doesn't always take you in a straight line. He tests you sometimes. Can I get an amen for that one? Lord doesn't always. I saw a picture on Facebook where it had a guy riding a bicycle from this point, and it was like a straight uh, path all the way from here to the finish line, and that's like how I want my life to be. And the second picture was this guy on the same bicycle, and there were all these hills and valleys and lava and all kinds of stuff, and it was like, this is the actual life that is before me. But are we just like Philip from time to time? We look through eyes that fail to see Jesus. And all we can see is a problem. This isn't to minimize anything we go through. But the trials and the troubles that come upon us, do we primarily see them as problems or as opportunities? While God has not promised to perform a miracle in every situation of our life, have we abandoned all hope of seeing God's miraculous work around us? May it never be so. May we be the kind of people that say, 
I don't know what's going to happen, but I know Jesus. By the way, I mean, I know you're like me, but you hear stories of heartbreak on a daily basis. You hear people who have been diagnosed with, with cancer or some kind of sickness. You hear about people whose marriages ha- are falling apart. You hear about people whose family uh, hates them, despises them, treats them cruelly. You hear about people who, who are burdened and overwhelmed because of their children or their grandchildren. And we see, situ- we, each and every one of us have situations in our lives in which, which we are tested through trials. And if we're not careful, we're going to say, it's hopeless. There's nothing to do. It's over. Have we abandoned all hope of seeing God do miraculous things among us? Oh, I like this one. Who was this? Wednesday night when we gave the update. Do you remember, Kyle? You were smiling at me. The person who had the, uh, the heart exam. Was it Steve? Was it you? They found... Some, no, it was somebody... Oh, 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 yeah, I know who it was. Steve's an answer to prayer. But this isn't Steve. This was another person. And there was this, this lady is pregnant, the doctors in Cape did a test and they saw something on the heart, maybe in the baby, maybe it was a sh- something, I don't know what it was, and so they referred up to St. Louis, by the way, it's always good when you're in St. Louis, they referred up to St. Louis, the doctors in Cape were concerned, the doctors in St. Louis did their test, their exam, and they're like... We don't need to do any kind of surgery. We don't see anything. And the conclusion was, well, I guess the Cape doctors just saw a shadow or they just got mistaken or something. And by the way, that's possible. But you know what else is possible? God's divine healing in response to His people's prayers. And do you have any any testimonies of that? It's like God showed up. Maybe you weren't expecting God to show up, but He did. Maybe you were fervently praying for God to show up, and He did. While God has not promised to perform a miracle in every situation of our life, do we pray expecting and knowing that God can do all things? When God presents you with a problem or a trial, He's not expecting you to come up with a plan. Did you catch that? (laughs) Poor Philip. He was like, I don't have a plan. I don't know what to do. Andrew's like, I got a plan, but it's not very good. Jesus wasn't coming to Philip and Andrew to see what kind of plan they had in order to solve the problem. And when you and I encounter trials and tests, God's not asking us to come up with a good plan. He's presenting us with an opportunity to trust Him. Even if you confess, God, I have no idea. 
I have no idea how this is going to happen. I have no idea what's going to take place. But I know you and I trust you. I know you can do all things. Let us trust Jesus and grow in our faith. If something seems hopeless, pray to the Lord who is rich in mercy. Let us proclaim with, that with us it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. As we remember that tests are important because they reveal what we know and believe. So what tests are before you? And what is hindering you from keeping your eyes on Jesus, looking full in His wonderful face? And when you do that, the old hymn says, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to put this into practice, but we confess that there's plenty of times where we're presented with a problem and we panic We panic because we're weak, we're frail. We're panicked because we want to know how it's going to end before we even begin. We panic because we know that we can't fix it, but we're going to try to fix it. Heavenly Father, I pray on behalf of all of us that we would not lose sight of Jesus, the one who can walk on water, as we'll learn next week, the one who can feed 5,000 plus with just a small amount, can do all things. So when we get bad news, we will not be anxious or fearful because we know Jesus. If we lose our job, we'll remember that we know Jesus. When people hate and despise us, we will remember that we know Jesus. When our body begins to to break down and give way, we will remember we know Jesus. As Christians, we've been adopted into the family of God, and we know Jesus, and He knows us, and He will receive us to where He is. And Father, if there is someone here today who is not a Christian, we pray that You would reveal Yourself to them so that they would see that You are not just a miracle worker in Galilee, but You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That You are the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing in Him, you will have life in His name. Everlasting life and the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation back to the Father. Lord, work in our hearts as we sing this final hymn. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.